0: My name is uh, Jackie Hayes, and for 43 years, a little over 43 years now, I have been a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of my life, I have been a recovering worrier. Now, there are times that I'm, I'm able to wrestle that addiction to the ground and make it cry uncle pretty much for the most part, down through my journey, and especially my journey as a Christian. Like a, my shadow on a bright summer day, worry has been my unwanted and unwelcome companion to life. Now, I'm not trying to minimize uh, my journey, but I come by it rather naturally. For I grew up in the home of a mother who had a hard earned phd in worrying the world's best when i was a little boy i remember my mother worrying that there would not be enough money to make it to the end of the month and then i remember on those very rare occasions when there was a little bit of a surplus i remember my mother worrying what was going to come and take away that bit of surplus was the refrigerator going to stop working, was the car going to break down, something was going to happen that was going to steal away that little bit of surplus. My hand before God. I remember there were times when my mother would worry that there was nothing to worry about. <laughs> you ever been there? I wish I could tell you that 35 years ago when Kathy and I married and I left that family... I wish I could tell you that I left all of that behind, and that has not been a part of my experience, but wouldn't you know, when I got married, I discovered now there's a whole new set of problems to worry about. (laughs) There have been times down through the years, probably no one in this room can identify, that I worried whether our marriage was even going to make it. I worried whether it was going to survive me or survive her, and I wasn't so much worried about divorce, I was... Worried about murder. I thought one of us was going to kill one another from time to time. And then God gave us three little girls. And all of you that are parents today, you understand what I mean when I say there's just a whole new set of worries that go with raising children. Am I right? How how many of you today have small children? Oh, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, under. Thereabouts. Listen, I don't mean to rain on your parade, but... Let me tell you the gospel truth, and nobody told me this when I was coming along, but it's more difficult to raise adult children than it is young children. Amen to that. You're going to hang in there. I promise you, you're going to hang in there. But, But man, listen, they make decisions without asking you, and they marry people without, well, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And all that goes into adult children and all of that, and there's just a whole new set of problems to worry about. As I've aged a little bit, as I've turned the corner into my 60s, I've discovered that now there's a whole new set of problems to worry about as I've gotten a little bit older in life. Will there be enough money to make it to retirement? And, you know, on a spiritual note, am I going to finish well? I mean, that's what I want to do. I remember when I started out as a believer 43 years ago, one of my goals was I want to finish well the race that God has set before me. And lo and behold, I'm discovering that... (laughs) Finishing well is a little bit more difficult than I thought it was early on in life. Have you found that to be true? I wonder today if we have any worriers. No, 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 wait a minute. Before you raise your hand, do we have any real professionals here today? Let me see your hand. There we go. I thought we might have some. And do we have any wannabe worriers? I mean, you're just kind of getting started in this wonderful field of worrying. Do we have any today that are just kind of getting started? Well, I'm happy that you raised your hand because, to be honest with you, on my ride over this morning, I worried a bit that I was going to be the only worrier here today. So... (laughs) I'm happy that I'm preaching to some fellow pilgrims this morning and so forth. I got interested in this subject because as, you know, you said and you look at life and you look at your own life, I, I began to notice that really worrying had become a pattern. It's a habit in my life and so forth. And I believe just like you do that the Lord Jesus came to set us free and that uh, he wants to deliver us from the things, those sins that beset us, and yet this was an area of my life that I'd never really explored and never really turned over to the Lord and so forth, and so I began to get interested in this subject of worry and so forth, and I began to do a little research, and I discovered that you can probably take this morning all the things that we brought with us today and we worry about and kind of lump them into four or five categories. Tell me what you think. We, we worry about our image. Do any of you worry about what you look like? You're a little heavier than you want to be? A little thinner than you want to be? Did you look in the mirror this morning and there was a gray hair poking out that wasn't there yesterday or maybe you've seen a wrinkle that wasn't there a day or two ago? Well, listen, our culture knows that this is an area of concern for us. That's why the health industry is a multi-billion dollar industry in our culture today and that's why gyms are popping up on every street corner today because they know that it's an area of great concern for we Americans. We worry about our image. We worry about our health. And as I said a moment ago, as I've turned the corner into my 60s, and especially since I left being a pastor of a local congregation four or five years ago, and now I work in the healthcare industry as a chaplain, I walk into some situations, and every time I walk into a situation, I wonder, oh my goodness, is that the way I'm going to come to the end of my life? Am I going to get cancer and die a slow, agonizing, painful death? Is dementia going to knock on my door, Alzheimer's, and going to gradually take me away from my family? And I'll be honest with you, it's more of a concern now that I'm in my 60s than it ever has been before. We worry about our image, we worry about our health, we worry about our family, don't we? I mean, we want our marriage to work, don't we? I believe every married couple in here today really wants your marriage to work. And if you're raising children, you want children that will obey you when they're small and will, um, will honor you when they're young adults. And hopefully one day at the end of life, if the need is there, they'll be there to care for you and to provide what you need at the end of life. So we do uh, concern ourselves about our families. anybody today worried about your job? When mean, you know, I, I'm not talking about are you going to get the raise at the end of the year, just with the downsizing that's going on in our culture today. I mean, my goodness, I mean, people live round the edge and don't know if tomorrow is going to be the day that they walk in and discover that uh, their job is no longer there. And money, of course. Most of us in this room, if not all of us, worry about money. Will I have enough money to make it to the end of the month, or will I have enough money To retire on. The chances are today you brought one or more of those worries with you into this room. And so I think we can agree today that worrying is a part of our culture, worry is a part of the body of Christ, and worry is probably a part of your earthly journey. Is that right? Does God speak to that? Is there anything in the Bible that addresses the subject of worry? That's why I'm opening my Bible this morning to. Philippians chapter 4. If you want to turn with me there, we're going to just camp out around a couple of verses this morning. And uh, we're just going to try to make some sense out of what the Apostle Paul has to say to us this morning about this notorious enemy of worry that seems to find its way into our lives. And ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I'm not nearly as interested that you walk out of here with a new perspective of theology. And I'm not interested this morning that you walk out of here with a neat and tiny outline that you've made on some notes. My goodness, you probably have a cupboard full of notes somewhere and so forth. My interest today is that the truth of this passage will somehow impact our lives to such a way that not necessarily in this room this morning and even at that decisional, invitational moment, but when we walk out of this door, and when we get in our car and we begin to drive home and all of a sudden the worries and the cares of society and our lives begin to creep in on us, it is there that we realize we have a brand new default position and we have an option to this matter of worry. Well, the Apostle Paul is writing, and again, you know these words. He writes in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Philippians and he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplic- supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, verse 7. And the peace of God, that peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I don't know which translation you're reading from this morning, but I read a translation the other day that I really like, and here's the way that translator unpacked verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. So let's try to get our hearts and our understanding around what the apostle is after and see if we can't find something that we can carry home with us today that will help us with the unwelcome guest of worry when he comes to visit you. Well, it's obvious to me, and I hope, hopefully, to you, that uh, this passage flows around one word. In fact, I think if we can unlock this one word, we can get to the meaning of what these two verses are about. It is a word translated in my New King James, the word anxious in verse 6. You may have the word worry. I think if you have the old King James, I think the word there, the phrase is be careful for nothing. Is that right? I think that's a way that reads, but all of it is the same idea. Don't worry, don't be anxious, be careful for nothing. That word translated anxious, worry, or careful is a very interesting Greek word. In fact, it is a compound word. Do you know what a compound word is? Two or more words put together to make a word. And that's what the apostle did. In his day and time, the apostle took hold of one word and another word and he married those two words to give us the understanding and the idea of this word worry, anxious, or be careful for nothing. Let me show you what these two words are. It is the word mind, and the other word is the word to divide or to separate. So when you put those two words together, you get the idea that the word worry carries with it the idea of dividing or separating the mind. You can see the picture. On the one hand, we are men and women of faith. We trust God. We know that God has our back. We know some verses that are very prominent in our lives. We know the verse, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We know the book of Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We know the verse, nothing can take us from the hand of God, but we are there and we are secure. We know all of those verses. So on the one hand, our focus is on God and His sovereign care and His sovereign control over our lives. But on the other hand, There is that thing. To worry about a job. Is my marriage going to make it? How are my kids going to turn out? As I grow older, how am I going to come to the end of life? All of those things that come our way day after day after day. And we tend to focus on those things. That is our human nature to do that and the apostle paul says when we do here's what begins to happen we look this way for god we look this way and before long we are torn between the two and i want to ask you a question if you stood like this this morning and two strong men in this congregation one got on this hand and the other got on this hand and pulled as hard as they could how long do you think you would last I think maybe this is what James is after in James chapter 1 when he says that uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man? Not a man that has two minds, but a man or a woman that has a mind that's being pulled in two different directions. And you know what James says? James says you're going to be wobbly in your faith. You're not going to be sturdy. You're not going to be stable and secure if, if we do not learn to bring resolution to this thing. And so, and so we become unstable in our journey. But listen, the greatest danger is not what it does to us in the moment. Not that it pulls us this way and this way. But the greatest danger is that after a little while, it becomes a way of life. It becomes a habit. It becomes like that warm pair of slippers on a cold winter morning that are so comfortable and we just so easily slide right into them. It becomes a way of life. And before we know it, worry has crept in and we've embraced it and it becomes our immediate default position so that when something does come our way our knee-jerk reaction to it even as believers who come together and sing about the victory of the Lord the truth is our knee-jerk reaction becomes I'm going to worry about this rather than take hold of the sovereignty of God and that's what the apostle is after Therein is a danger of this word. So how do we bring it down? Is it possible to make this thing fall to the ground and hold its arm behind its back and make it cry uncle in our lives and win the victory over worry? Of course it is. Of course it is. We sang a moment ago that Jesus came to set us free. Listen, that doesn't mean that Jesus just came to set us free from our sin of the past and the darkness of our previous existence. It doesn't mean that Jesus came just to take us to heaven one day. It means that Jesus came to infiltrate every facet of our journey. And a big part of that are the things that we worry about. Jesus wants us to be free from worry this morning. And so the remedy, the prescription, the formula for that is found in these verses. So let's focus our attention on these two verses this morning. And if I may, I just was taught to preach like this a hundred years ago. There's nothing spiritual or special about it. But when I look at a passage, I just try to break it down into two or three parts. And this thing just seems to unfold in three easy steps this morning, And so what I want us to do is unpack verses 6 and 7 with this very simple outline. First, there is a prohibition we are to contemplate. In other words, the apostle says, stop doing something. N- number two, there is a practice we are to integrate. Stop doing this and start doing this. And then number three, there is a promise we can anticipate. That is... When we stop doing this and start doing something else, then there is something that we can anticipate God doing for us. So let's look at verses 6 and 7 with those three little handles, if we may. First of all, there's a prohibition we are to contemplate. And what a strong, strong prohibition it is. Look at it in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Let's just stop there. We can kind of camp right there for just a moment. Be anxious For nothing. Don't worry about anything. Just stop it. Just do it. Remember when you were growing up? Your mom and dad, do what I say. Why? I said it. God is telling us, stop worrying. You said, whoa, wait wait a minute now, Pastor. If if, if you only knew what I had to worry about. I mean, if Paul knew what was going on in my life, there's no way in the world that the Apostle Paul would ever write something like this. I mean, could I just stand and share my testimony a moment? And not only will I worry, but I'll have everybody in this room worrying with me this morning. Right? I mean, I know it can get bad, can it? It really can. It can get bad for us and so forth. And listen, before you close your Bible, even worse, before you check out on the Apostle Paul, let me remind you that the Apostle had everything to worry about when he wrote this. Do you know the background of the book of Philippians? You know that this is one of the four letters in the New Testament that have come to us known as the prison epistles? you know why it's known as a prison epistle? Because the Apostle Paul wrote it from a dark, dank, dingy, damp Roman cell. It's not like the things that these men and women live in out here in our penal institutions today. It was nothing more than a hole in the ground, really. The apostle didn't know whether he was going to have another meal coming. He didn't know whether his life was about to end. He had absolutely no idea what was going on other than God was in control of it all. I don't want you to think that the Apostle Paul is setting out in the sunshine by the pool at Holiday Inn Express sipping lemonade when he's writing all this. The Apostle Paul is about as in bad a shape as a man can possibly be physically. I mean, he's been beaten, cast down in that prison. The lid closed over him and there he is all alone in the midst of that hole in the ground. Talking about something to worry about. Listen, the people to whom he was writing had a lot to worry about also about this time that the Roman government began to turn on Christians in the first century and persecution was beginning to heat up. One of their own, Epaphroditus, whom they had sent to minister to the apostle, was nigh unto death. And one of their own was there on the brink of life and death. These people didn't know really where their next meal was coming from either. you talking about poor. The apostle writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and he talks about the poverty of the churches in Macedonia and this is one of those churches. And listen, these men and women woke up every day and had to grub for a living. Wait a minute, you say worry? What do they have to worry about? They had everything in the world to worry about and yet it's to this group of people the apostle writes this word, stop worrying, stop worrying. You know, I think there's a very, very valid principle at stake here. And I think the principle is so obvious that we need to grasp it. And I think on the underside of all of this, I hear the Apostle saying this morning that really we don't have any control over what comes our way, do we? Is your marriage secure? I hope it is. I hope you two die, grow old and die one day in an old age. I hope that you get to sit on the front porch and rock and enjoy your grandchildren. Ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line is there's not a one of us in this room that have that guarantee. Do you know it? Not a one of us. I, I, I know. I understand. We can't control what's coming our way. And you can't. You don't know if that little ache is going to lead to a doctor's visit. And the doctor's going to look over his or her glasses and say, I hate to tell you this, but it's stage four and there's nothing we can do. We have absolutely no guarantee. We have no control over what's coming our way. But listen, here's what the apostle is getting at. Though you have no control over what's coming, you have every bit of control over how you respond to it. And here's what the apostle is saying. You may be in poverty this morning. You may be thrown in a cell. You may not know where your next meal is coming from. You may have every earthly reason facing mankind to worry today. But the apostle's word is don't worry. Stop worrying about it. And by the way, by the way, I look around and I see some that are my age or even older. Those of you that are my age or older, would you not agree with me this morning that as you look back over your shoulder in all honesty, most of the things that we've worried about really have never come to pass anyway, have they? Have they? Worrying is fruitless. Worrying is futile. Does absolutely no good to worry about it. Absolutely no good. I think it was Mark Twain one time who said, I've lived through some terrible things in my life. And some of them have even actually happened. Isn't it true most of the things we worry about never happen anyway? Am I right or wrong? So, I mean, forget the theology of this, just the practicality of it, that the things we worry about really don't come to pass anyway. It typically does work out, does it not? Does it not? I mean, so so the apostle's word is, there it is, a prohibition. Stop worrying, no exceptions. Put worrying on the back burner because there is a practice we are to integrate. Look again at verse 6. Here's a practice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And i got a question for you. How do you break a habit? Any idea? You know how you break a habit? You must replace it with another habit. So here is the apostle's word. Stop doing this and start doing this. So how do you break the habit of worry answer? You replace it with the habit of prayer. Stop worrying. Start start praying. Now I cannot speak for you, but I'm probably hitting the nail on the head this morning that your life is no different than mine. As I look back over my shoulder and in those moments and those seasons of my journey, When I have tended to worry the most, I've noticed that my prayer life takes a dip. I've noticed that when worry is high, prayer tends to be low. But I've also noticed that when my prayer life is high, my worries tend to be low. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Apostle Paul is saying, literally, worry about nothing, but in the place of worry, pray about everything. Maybe we can take that with us today. Worry about nothing, but pray about everything. Now look again at verse 6, because when the Apostle starts talking about this matter of us bringing it to the Lord, he uses a variety of words. In fact, he uses three different words. He says, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. A homework assignment for you. If you want to go home and dig into the meaning of those three words, prayer, supplication, request, you would discover that each one brings a little different facet to this matter of us approaching the Lord. But what I what grabbed my attention when I began to study these verses is not so much... Those three words for us coming before the Lord. But the fact that Paul planted a word right in the middle of all of that. Do you see the word? The apostle says, with, uh, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. The, the idea is that prayer, mix it with thanksgiving. Supplication, mix it with thanksgiving. Request, Mix it with thanksgiving. In other words, let thanksgiving be the oxygen. Let it be the atmosphere of your prayer. Whenever you come before the Lord with that thing that is a worry to you, always stop in the midst of it and offer to the Lord thanksgiving. One translation of the end of verse 6 reads this way, Tell God what you need and don't forget to thank Him for all He has done. I've got a question I'm going to ask you. Why do you think the apostle puts that right there? Any idea? You'd think that he would put the word Thanksgiving when he's writing about our great salvation and what God has done for us, be thankful for what God has done. Or when the apostle was talking about what is to come in the future for us, he would mix it all with and be thankful for what God is going to do one day in the future, but he doesn't. Here's what he does right in the middle of talking to us about worry. Right in the middle of him talking to us about praying about worry and bringing our supplications, our requests, the Apostle Paul says, wait a minute, stop in the midst of it and don't forget to give God thanks for what he has done. When I was a little boy growing up in the country church, we used to sing a great old hymn of our faith. Count your blessings, you remember that song? Name them one by one and it will surprise you. What the Lord has done. Have you done that lately? Have you? The other day I was thinking about this message and working some on it. And so when I left Jacksonville to come home that afternoon, I turned the radio off. And I just said, okay, I've got about an hour. And I'm just going to do exactly what that old songwriter admonished me to do. I'm just going to start thanking the Lord for what he's done for me. To be honest with you, I drove into my carport long before I got done with that list. Of thanking the Lord for what He's done for me. My goodness, God's been good to me. God's been good to you. I mean, He gave me a wife far better than I deserve. And listen, you don't have to rush out of here and call her and tell her I said that. She knows that. She reminds me of that all the time. She already knows that. Let me live in a house that's better than I ever thought I'd live in. I mean, our refrigerator's full of food this morning. As far as I know, I've got my help. I get to walk in and out of those hospital rooms. I get to walk in. Did you hear that? And walk out of those hospital rooms. I mean, God's been good to me. He really has. He's let me be a preacher of the gospel. What a wonderful, wonderful honor God gave to me. And why in the world? God bestowed that up on me as a great, great, great mystery to me. But God's let me do this. For 43 years now, I've been doing this. And I'm as excited about it now as I've ever been about preaching the good news of Christ. God's been real, real good to me. Why do you think Paul put thanksgiving right there? Because there's something we need to remember. That when you focus on that thing you're worrying about and you take it to the Lord, you need to remember that God's last act of blessing is not God's last act of blessing. You need to remember that God's been too good too long for you to not trust Him now. You need to remember that the God who made a way for you in the past will make a way for you in the future. You need to remember what God brought you through. You need to remember that. This morning after the first service, a young lady came and talked to me and said, you you don't remember this, but a couple of years ago, you came by and you prayed for me. And I didn't think we were going to make it and said, God delivered. And let me tell you what's happening in my life right now. And we just sat here on the front row and kind of cried together a few minutes after the service. And she said, I didn't think we were going to make it. And I said, God makes a way, doesn't he? And folks, listen, God makes a way, doesn't he? (laughs) Don't forget that. Because it's easy to get your mind over here on this thing. And it's easy to forget the good things that God has done in your life. And the truth is, every one of us in this room have been blessed beyond measure. In fact, listen, if God never, ever, ever, ever blessed me again, I've already beat the rap on this thing. Because God has blessed me far more than I ever thought He would. So as you focus on this and take it to the Lord, mix it with thanksgiving. And remember, his last act of blessing is not his last act of blessing. There is a prohibition that we are to contemplate. There is a practice we are to integrate. Here's a prohibition. Stop worrying. Here's a practice. Start praying. Here is the promise we can anticipate in verse 7. Look at this. Let me read verse 6 again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. By the way... Do any of you claim that as a life's verse, verse 6? If you do, may I encourage you greatly, don't forget verse 7. Because it certainly goes with verse 6. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Is that appealing to anyone this morning? Does that sound good to you that in the place of worry and stress and anxiety and having that strong man pull this way and a strong man pull this way, that God has the ability to give you peace? Does that sound exciting and appealing to anyone this morning? Well, that's what God offers to all of us who will follow uh, His formula. Stop worrying and start praying. Now, can I just take that little phrase, peace, the peace of God, may I just say three very brief things about it. First of all, it is the peace of God. It's a peace that originates with God. God is the source of this peace. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not a person in this room that can manufacture the peace that the apostle is talking about. It does not come from within. It does not come from us. Now, be careful. Because you may get it through the reading of a verse... Or you may discover it through the touch of a friend's hand. You may receive this peace through the message or uh, the singing of a song. The peace may come to us through many avenues, but make no mistake about it. It is a peace that originates with God. God is the author and God is the source of this peace. Now, just stop for a moment with that thought. Because here is my life. Here is life in general. We fret over things we worry about things we're torn apart pull this way and pull that way are we going to have enough money to make it am i losing the weight that i need to lose is my job secure what about my family and children Uh, my health and all those things that tend to come our way and so forth and so on that's us we're in constant agitation but i wonder this morning if god were to lift the veil and allow us to look in on the throne of god what do you think we would see Do you think we'd see a God that's walking back and forth, wringing His hands with sweat on His brow, pacing back and forth, muttering under His breath, I don't know if they're going to make it or not. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know how this thing's going to turn out. I don't know. I have no idea. No. Do you know what you'd see if God were to let us look into heaven this morning? You'd see perfect peace in the presence of God. Now, question. Why do you think there is such agitation with us And there is such peace with God. Could it be? Could it be that God knows he's working according to a plan and purpose? Could it be that that little verse in Romans chapter 8 is actually true? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Could it be that God is working according to a plan? Ladies and gentlemen, I've got good news for you this morning. God already knows the end of the story. And God already knows the end of your story. That's why God is not frantically pacing about heaven today. Because God is working according to script. This was driven home in my life um, two or three months ago. Do we have any golfers here this morning? Let me see your hand, if we have any. I'm not asking if you're good, just if you play golf. There you go. Some more hands went up in the air, didn't it? Yeah, I understand. I enjoy watching uh, the major golf tournaments on television and uh, the British Open. If you're aware of this and you may want to write this down, the British Open is played in Great Britain. Okay. So that means that they're ahead of us six or seven hours, and that means that they're playing golf our time early in the morning. So when the last round of the British Open came on this past July, I set my TiVo the night before. I wanted to make sure I could tape it because Kathy and I got up, came to church here, sat right over there in our spot. After church, I went off with some friends, came back later in the day, and I had my afternoon planned. About three or four o'clock, I was going to come in, take a shower, sit down, in my lazy boy get me a cold glass of water, and I was going to sit there, and I was going to watch the end of the British Open, the last round of the British Open, because I wanted a particular golfer to win. I wanted Phil Mickelson to win. Now, if you're not a golfer and don't keep up with it, you're probably not aware that beginning that day, I forget exactly, but he was four or five or six strokes behind at the beginning of that day, And so when I kind of got up that morning and got busy, I thought, well, there's no way that uh, Phil Mickelson's going to win this thing. So I came home that afternoon, got ready, sat down in my chair, got my remote control, turned it on. And why in the world it was on this particular station, I don't know. But immediately it went to the golf channel. Now listen, do you know that phrase in 1 Corinthians, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye? Do you know that little phrase? In one millionth of a second, I mean even smaller time than that, before I could turn the channel, I saw Phil Mickelson holding the trophy. (laughs) I mean, boom, it was just like that. And I turned the channel and said, okay, I'm going to get that out of my mind. And started round one. And sure enough, Phil Mickelson bogeyed a hole or two at the very beginning, and Kathy, my wife, came in and sat down in her chair and pays no attention to it whatsoever and was knitting or reading or whatever she was doing. And when Phil bogeyed that hole or two at the very beginning, I looked at Kathy and I said, Kathy, I just got a feeling that Phil is going (laughs) to win this thing. (laughs) So I mean, you know, and the others would run up to the top of the leaderboard and I look at Kathy and I say, I just... Got a feeling, I just got a hunch that Phil is going to win this thing. And I don't know if you watched it, but it was about hole 16, 15, 17, somewhere in there. There was a little par three, but it's like a bowl turned upside down. And Phil hit a wedge up there. And I mean, here's a pin and it hit like an inch or two. Backed up, went all the way off the green, went way down in and, and this low-lying area and hard pan. And I just thought, there's no way on this earth Phil Mickelson's going to win this thing. And Kathy glanced over at the TV and she said, man, that's a hard shot. And I said, Kathy, I just got this feeling that Phil is going to win this thing. When, you know, Phil pulled those little wedges out and worked the magic that he works and hit it up there and it was stone dead. I mean, about an inch or two from the hole. And he kicked it in and Phil Mickelson went on to win the tournament. I just got a feeling that Phil's going to win this thing. It helps to know the end, doesn't it? Do you know the end? I know that one day when we get there, and by the way, you're going to make it. One day you're going to be holding the trophy. Not because of your grand ability to be faithful to God, but because of God's ability to put His hand on you and keep His hand on you. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you the end of this story? (laughs) You may come sliding in with bruises and bleeding and broken bones. I mean, you may limp in. Ladies and gentlemen, we know the end of the story. And you're already holding the trophy. You're going to make it. That's why there's peace in the presence of God. Because God already knows the end. You said, wait a minute, you don't understand? No, I don't understand what you're going through. But I do know that there's a Heavenly Father who is very much in control of every individual facet of your life and my life. And if our Heavenly Father has allowed it to filter through His sovereign hand and touch your life, it is there for a purpose. And God has the ability to make a way even when there appears to be no way. It is the peace of God. Look again at verse 7. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. Do me a favor this morning. When we're done. Don't come up to me. I mean you're welcome to come up to me. But don't come up to me and say. Alright now wait a minute pastor. Explain to me what this peace is. Didn't you just read. Read. It's beyond our understanding. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it to you. I don't know how to define it. For heaven's sakes, I just know when it's there, when it's not there. Don't you? How do you define it? That's why the apostle says it, it's beyond our ability to describe to someone else. I, I don't know how to tell you what it is. I just know when God's peace is real in my life. And when God's peace is not real in my life. But I don't have to define it to embrace it. I don't have to understand it to accept it. It is a peace of God. The peace that originates with God. It surpasses our understanding. And look finally in verse 7. And it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Your heart and your mind. It will guard your heart against unruly feelings. And emotions. It will guard your mind against runaway thoughts. What if. What if. What if. What if. Listen all the what ifs are going to beat us half to death. What ifs. What ifs. What, that's the mind. And here's what Jesus says. I, I want to put a guard outside of your mind. And I want to put a guard outside of your heart. So that we aren't dominated by emotions. So we aren't controlled by all these what ifs and runaway thoughts. I want to put a garrison outside of your mind. So that. The peace of God can rule in your heart. And these worries do not take you and pull you this direction and this direction. Some time ago, about a month ago, I was, uh, received a consult that I needed to go see a particular patient. And I stepped up on one of our medical surgical units. And as I approached the door, I noticed sitting in a chair outside of the door was a JSO officer sitting there with a gun and everything. And I thought, hmm, that's going to be interesting getting in there. So as I walked up to the door and approached it, the officer stood up and said, may I help you? I showed him my badge and I said, I'm Jackie Hayes. I'm one of the chaplains and I've come to see and call the patient by name and so forth. He said, just a moment, let me check. You know what he was doing? He was keeping the wrong people out and letting the right people in. That's the word that the apostle uses. The apostle says this. Now watch. Life is going to come. You really cannot control what comes your way. But what you can control is what you do with it. And if you want to focus on it, worry about it, here's what it's going to do. It's going to pull you in two different directions. You're going to become unstable, unsturdy in your Christian walk. And you're going to consistently fight that battle. Or you can stop worrying about it. You can take it to our Heavenly Father in prayer, supplication, request, mingling it all with thanksgiving as we remember and reflect upon the good things of God. And when we do this, here's the promise of our Heavenly Father. Our Jesus will give you His peace. And His peace can be yours.